Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. I'm your host, Joe Campbell, and as always, with me today are Alex Patton. Yo. And Nathan Stone. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I'm doing well. I wasn't sure whether, whether to answer the hypothetical question. Oh, it did sound like very hypothetical, yeah. I mean, were you pointing that at us, or are you pointing the people who listen? Well, I guess it applies to everybody. It applies yeah. to the whole world. The Na- whole world. Uh, Nathan cares about everyone equally. I, I do, because everyone's a special little flower, and uh, I don't see all flowers the same. So. Some are ugly than others. Hey, uh, hey, they're they're beautiful in their own way. Beautiful. Speaking of flowers, Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. or as a, a single people like to call it, a single awareness day. So. Uh, or uh, other people like to call it Friday. <laughs> That's <Yeah. true. laughs> Some people don't treat it like a holiday. <laughs> this is a I, 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 so as we record this today is Valentine's Day mm-hmm. for all of you listening, all two of you, if we're lucky listening to this, this will be after Valentine's Day. So this is a belated Valentine's Day episode. And since we are recording this on Valentine's Day, we decided we're going to talk about the most romantic movie of all time, uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey of its time, <laughs> Harold and Maude. That's yeah, I guess that's kind of putting it mildly, but yeah. But before we get into that, let's talk about what we've watched on our own recently. Uh, Nathan, kick us kick us off today. Okie dokie. Well, uh, if I guess uh, just this past week, I was actually up in Washington. I was spending a lot of time with Joe and his family. It was a great time. But um, I decided to test out uh, this iPhone 11 Pro because I don't know if anybody else is aware, but this camera on this phone is actually pretty good. So I spent a good portion of, I guess, while up there just filming stuff, just testing things out, going to, uh, you know, the University of Washington, several of the parks around there, just shooting stuff. So I spent a good part of this week just shooting and editing videos for that. So I'm going to have some content up pretty soon. So excited. Um, aside from that, uh, you know, I think if anyone was aware of like a couple of podcasts ago, I was talking about BoJack Horseman. It's a miniseries I was following on um, Netflix. It's coming to its last uh, few episodes. Actually, it, they just launched the last uh, season um, this past month. So I'm I was going to ask, does, does Netflix launch seasons uh, all at once like they usually do? Uh, yes, they do. So they, they kind of go for that whole binge streaming. But uh, with this one, they decided to split up this last season into two parts. In fact, I've been noticing a lot of uh, uh, shows have been doing that. I know Rick and Morty did that recently. Like they just launched like just a few episodes and they're going to, you know, follow it up with the remainder of it later on this year. So it's it seems to be, you know, following a trend. But uh, you're on the animation team, too. Exactly. There isn't that huge push of like, get it all done in one session. But uh, I just recently um, watched uh, the first part of season six. I'm trying to catch up with uh, this season. I've liked this show a lot. It's been really good so far. I love the cast, the characters, the story that it's telling. It's um, it's really good. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, Joe, I told you about this show that it's it's one I highly recommend. Uh, Alex, I, I don't know if you've checked it out at all, but it's, uh, it's worth a shot. Yeah, yeah. I think I've caught up to maybe, I think it was like maybe season three. Mm-hmm. Um, before I kind of stopped watching a little bit, but I really do need that. Once this, the last bit of this last season comes out, uh, I gotta, uh, yeah, I gotta binge watch the rest of it just because keep because just because I loved the first few seasons, mm-hmm. it was so great. Mm-hmm. So I gotta watch the rest now. Yeah, and what's really nice this uh, later seasons uh, is that it really kind of starts showing a lot more just growth on his character. You think okay, uh, for something like this, you think okay, they want to stretch him out like. Let's uh, put him through some more scenarios. But no, I think they're uh, wrapping it up very nicely. I haven't seen the the finale, but I know a lot of people have been spoiling the internet, so I'm trying to avoid that. But it, I should probably be able to catch it up this weekend, it being a three-day weekend, President's Day. So, uh, yeah. Nice. Now that, now that the whole thing is out, uh, I might get around to it in the, I don't know, if, if not the next few months, at least within, at least at least this, this year. Uh, I'm, I'm currently... Just started the season three, four. No, I think it's season four of uh, Better Call Saul. It just hit Netflix, so I'm kind of on a Better Call Saul thing right now. But BoJack Horseman is definitely on my on my list. I, I will say with BoJack Horseman for anyone who's not watched it, please come in prepared and mentally prepared because this one is is pretty heavy and it gets it goes to territories that you were not expecting. It's not as lighthearted or as 
comical as a lot of people make it out to be when there's people who say this is pretty depressing yeah it's it is absolutely true but it's a good depression it's a good like it's weird for me to say it's a good depression to go through but uh it's it's very therapeutic um and i liked it um aside from that uh it being valentine's day as well i decided to watch another weird oddball romantic film uh woody allen's 1977 annie hall where uh woody allen plays a uh, Arnie Singer, a uh, upcoming Jewish comedic writer who falls in and out of love with uh, becoming singer Annie Hall, played by Diane Keaton, and just watching him as he kind of goes in and out of love and explores all the meanings of life around it. Uh, this is an interesting movie because if anyone's not familiar with Woody Allen and his formula, he's very um, existential and he's very talkative in his comedy. So this was one of those movies where actually I didn't really spend a whole lot of time just watching it. I just listened to it because the dialogue alone just paints a picture of like what this relationship is like. And it's a lot of talking, but I don't know. I think this is for its time when it came out, this was interesting because he breaks the fourth wall quite a lot. In fact, actually that's the opening scene, him talking directly to the audience. And then after that, it just sets the tone of him just breaking that fourth wall in any kind of scenario. Like there's this one scene in a, when they're waiting in line to go see a movie and then he just suddenly starts talking to the audience and the guy behind him starts engaging with the audience and then he brings in this critic from somewhere on the scene to talk about it and it just breaks all those boundaries and i don't know i it was it's interesting i just cannot stand listening to woody allen um if anything he was the one thing i wish could have been replaced with someone else Interesting, yeah, because I've, I've I've only seen a few Woody, Woody Allen movies. I mean, the ones that come to mind are uh, Hannah and Her Sisters, Blue Jasmine, and uh, Midnight in Paris. So, but which which I don't, I don't think he I don't think he breaks the fourth wall in any of those. So I I don't know. I'm, I'm my interest is peaked now. Yeah, no, this is one that I think uh, stands out from all of them. I mean, this is the one that won Best Picture back in '77. This is the one that beat Best Picture for Star Wars. Uh, it was up against Star Wars, and this one. Uh, was Star Wars nominated? It was, yes. Again, oh, interesting. It was nominated for quite a few, and it, although it won a lot of the technical awards for its time, it deserves it. Uh, this one ended up sweeping like screenplay, director, best picture. So it's kind of interesting just to put it side by side and see that. However, I will probably say the best cameos in this movie are Paul Simon and Christopher Walken. Oh, Christopher God. Walken makes a cameo <laughs> in this, and when he comes into the screen, you're like, Oh my gosh. And it's one of the best scenes. Just in knowing Christopher Walken and all of his Walkenness, it's uh it's pretty good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um other than that, that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh next. Alex. All right. Um uh, I just started watching just today actually, uh watching Letter Kenny on Hulu. Dude, it's so good. <laughs> is that is 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 it is that animated? No, it's a uh, live action. Okay. It's about these um, hicks living up in literally a town called Letterkenny up in Canada. And it's just their troubles that they get into. It's just, I, I love the comedy of it too, because it's just, everything's just so completely deadpan. So so knowing nothing about this show, the first thing I think of is, have you guys heard of a show called Corner Gas? I have, yes. No. For Alex, if you haven't seen Corner Gas, it's a Canadian, I guess, sitcom comedy show kind of. Uh, I know I know nothing about the show you were talking about, but just like you, you, that that brief description made me think of Corner Gas. Okay, I mean that's all. <laughs> that's all he's gonna say about <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, sure, I guess it kind of sounds similar. Cool. <laughs> it's Canadian, and yeah, I mean, it's Canadian. It's a comedy, situational comedy. We love our hockey, you know. You know, you know how all all American situational comedies are exactly the same. Well, yeah, <laughs> and Canada has its own formula, which works for it, and uh, yeah. Awesome. I mean, what I what um actually made by Canadians or or not, but that's at least the setting for it, and everyone is Canadian, or at least sounds like they're Canadian, as far as does I it. Know. Does it play into the kind of the Canadian stereotypes, like the the, the uh, uh, Rick Moranis strange brew kind of over the top stuff? I, I don't know that, but uh, not really. No, it, it's not. It's not the like super nice. Oh, sorry, sorry, Canadian kind of stereotype that you you know you might normally think of. Um, they're literally just like normal people that are 
Canadian. So. Okay. Let me ask you this: Do they actually play mm-hmm. hockey, or do they put a huge emphasis? There are a on... couple hockey players in that are that are main characters. I'll have to ask my my uh, uh, my sister who went to school up in Canada for a few years. Uh, see what she has to say about uh, hockey up there. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She'll have a better insight on that. I mean, but... as long as they're not turning people into walruses, that's okay. True. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of Tusk right now. So I got that which reference. Is, which is a, is said in Canada. So, um, but yeah, the show is great. Other than that, I've been, I just finished um, a game called Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Um, this, is, this is a game I started a while back, but I didn't, I think I got like barely an hour into it and I just stopped for whatever reason. I mean, it's, it sounds very uplifting. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you want to call it that? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, so the game type, it, it's kind of, classified as what what's kind of be what's been known or called a uh, walking sim you literally just walk around that's that's the game but yeah this it was developed by a studio called the chinese room um and they're well known they were the ones who kind of invented or kind of really coined this genre you're not playing any specific character you don't really talk to anybody you just walk from point to point admire the scenery um you know with their first game that they that they became well known for called Dear Esther, which I played um, years ago, um, I, I absolutely love the game. And in that game, yeah, you you don't interact with anything. There's no like interact button as far as I can remember. There's just walking, and you can like zoom the camera in a little bit, maybe see something like far off. But that's the entire like gameplay mechanics. Everybody's gone to the Rapture is pretty much the same thing. They added some gameplay mechanics, so now you can open doors, you can uh, pick up a phone and listen to something, um, and then there's like a certain point where you have to like tilt your controller, like motion control. So, so, my, so mind if I ask, is it, it, the whole premise of this game is like you're the last person on Earth and nobody else is around? I, I can't give you the, I don't even know. You don't know. I, You've you not encountered thing, anybody else, so. Well, the thing, well, the thing is, like, you don't ever see yourself the player like even if like even if like you go you go up or down a ladder you look straight down where you should see your feet and your hands gripping the ladder there's nothing so you could be dead is basically what you're saying you could be just you could be literally nothing <laughs> that's very existentialist are, are there any any goals to the game yeah, you just finished the story that's literally it but what's you the story point... that's what i'm saying it's a story-based <laughs> thing yeah you literally just go from point to point and listen and, and and hear the story. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and there's like, there's different with um yeah with everybody's gone rapture. There's like different points you can walk around in. It's set in like a little like a town or a valley out in um I assume you the UK, and kind of the whole point is or the without really giving it giving away much. There was a. Uh, I guess they, they call it a flu outbreak in, in the in the game uh, at the first in the first part, just because it's they're kind of trying to cover it up and they quarantine the whole valley and but you quickly realize that it's really something else, something else going on, and so your whole like the whole game is just walking through all these different houses through all these different roads through the countryside and the valley and you just learn about the different stories of the people that live there and kind of this overarching story of uh this couple that was working at an observatory like despite how boring the gameplay sounds like you to really get into it you just got to fully invest yourself into the story and it's cool too because it's not like even when you get to the end, it's not like, here's what happened. Here's exactly how this happened. Here's what everyone thought, and here's what happened to everyone. It's just, it's the same thing with Dear Esther, the first the studio's first game. It's pretty abstract at the ending. You just kind of have to guess and draw your own meaning from it, because it just leaves it open to you. Yeah, I guess leave it to the Brits to come up with flu outbreak viruses and absurdism, because yeah. <laughs> Well, I was saying it's not flu. That's, that's what they're whatever they're virus it might is. be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something else, but yeah. I would like to say it's a fascinating game, and I really like 
the the genre just because it's it's just so quiet and relaxing but it's you know but even walking around in like an empty town where there's supposed to be you know tons of people and you're just walking into empty houses and looking at stuff that you know kind of leads you into more into the story it just it gets a little unsettling even but yeah it's 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 a gorgeous game too and the soundtrack is amazing i'm beginning to notice a pattern actually with you alex where you're watching a lot of like uh anime that's soothing and calming and uh games where you're just walking around and just music that's very ambiotic yeah i mean that's 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 what i'm into yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm not so into like the super hyped up no yeah yeah you have a you have enough of that in your daily life you need to find your escapism for sure absolutely that's about it i've been just yeah just playing that game obviously playing more destiny playing or um watching more anime but that's that's the general gist uh alrighty so first thing i'm gonna talk about is i watched the bfg for the first time i missed it in theaters when it came out uh this is 2016 steven spielberg the bfg is no ordinary bone crushing giant he is far too nice and jumbly it's lucky for sophie that he is had she been carried off in the middle of the night by the blood bottler or any of the other giants rather than the bfg she would have soon become breakfast when Sophie hears that the giants are flush bunking off to England to swallow. <laughs> Who wrote this? I don't know. It's a, it's a very long synopsis. <laughs> a few nice children. She declares she must stop them once and for all, and the BFG is going to help her. Uh, so I, I never read the, the the book, the BFG by Roald Dahl, uh, and I didn't get around to this movie just because I didn't hear like like I heard mixing. I heard some people really liked it, some people really. Didn't didn't like it and just kind of fizzled out and everyone forgot about it so i finally got around to it uh because uh because because i've been showing a lot of kind of, kind of these these kid appropriate movies to my daughter now that she's starting to watch more and more movies so we watched this one together and i was surprised at how much i enjoyed this movie i was charmed by this just happy little movie it's a good natured giant teams up with a little girl to stop big evil giants and it's got cutesy stuff in it, uh, but it's got real heart to it too. It's got a sense of humor. It's just it's such a such a nice movie. Uh, so I I greatly enjoyed it. It's um, I was also surprised at how many actual sets and props there were in the movie. Knowing I mean like it's shot like like a Steven Spielberg like like his Tintin movie with the swooping camera angles moving over everywhere, but. The actress is so clearly interacting with oversized props and on some oversized sets, and they actually built stuff for the movie, you can tell, which was kind of fun to see, too, to see, seeing that integrated with the CGI, uh, which I thought worked well as well. So, yeah, I uh, I greatly enjoyed this, and now we are working through the book. So I'm a few chapters into the book now, and I was surprised at how closely so far, at least, the movie has stuck with the book, almost word for word yeah that's actually something i was going to comment on is like i remember actually reading the book growing up and when i saw the movie i was like wow this is pretty much almost word for word uh because in a lot of adaptations you'll see a lot of things change just because okay we need to translate the film to a modern day audience but you're right joe they kind of kept this book intact um uh, how long is the book it's not that long of a read actually it's only like a couple of chapters i think you could get it done in like maybe i don't know joe could you say two hours I mean, I mean, if you sat there dedicating time to it, you probably could. We're 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 we're, we're taking it a couple of chapters uh, at a time, and we're probably about five chapters in. We're not even like a quarter of the way through the book, though. I mean, I mean, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a children's chapter book with pictures, but it's still a chapter book. Yeah, I mean, one thing with like Raw Doll, like he, this is the guy who wrote James and Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, so and Fantastic Fox. So his stories aren't very extensive. They're not like you know epic novels or anything like that they're they're very very simple whimsical stories um and i remember seeing the movie and joe as uh as much as i know you loved it i i don't know and and maybe this is just an aesthetic theme for me i don't like cgi spielberg movies there's something about it i don't know what it is but it's how he handles it that just doesn't feel okay for me it's a little unsettling maybe too much of that uncanny valley going on but I, i i can't buy into it and this, and, and not saying like this is a bad movie, um, but I think it's the one thing that just prevented me from enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. Um, 
when I think of Uncanny Valley, I immediately jump to like the Robert Zemeckis movies, which I I do get that. Uh, for some reason, in these movies like Tintin and the BFG, I just don't I don't know why. I think it's because the technology has evolved since then. This you know when Robert Zemeckis was doing it, this was back in 2004 when that technology was still very new and. I think the problem with Zemeckis is he decides to use the same actor for everybody. Like, you know, in Polar <laughs> Express, when you start realizing everyone looks like oh. a clone of Tom Hanks, it's a little unsettling. Yeah. Next movie I'm going to talk about is My Girl from 1991, directed by Howard Zeef. Uh, Veda Sultanfuss is obsessed with death. Her mother is dead and her father runs a funeral parlor. She is also in love with her English teacher and joins a poetry class over the summer just to impress him. Thomas J., her best friend, is allergic to everything and sticks with Veda despite her hangups. When Veda's father hires Shelly and brings and begins to fall for her, things take a turn for the worse. I forgot that was actually her full name. When you actually say it now fully like that. It's, it's a mouthful of a name. It is a mouthful of name. Uh, this movie, so uh, it, it, it famously or infamously uh, co-stars Macaulay Culkin as her best friend. Uh, Dan Aykroyd plays the dad, which I didn't know. And Jimmy Lee Curtis plays the woman that, or Veda's dad is in love with mm -hmm. uh, because her mom died in childbirth. So it, actually, actually, interestingly enough, I didn't intend this, but this movie, this movie kind of fits in with Harold and Maude a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was kind of saying. There's yeah. like similar themes that are going on here. Yeah. So I knew nothing about this movie. Going in, except for the, uh, I guess, spoilers for My Girl coming up in this section. Uh, in infamously, the Nostalgia Critic video in his top 10 uh, saddest moments in movies, he has when Macaulay Culkin gets stung to death by bees. Oh, no. <laughs> I, that, that's not the scene. It's the scene when they're actually holding the funeral in her home, and she right. crashes it and saying, where's his glasses? Knowing that. And only that about this movie. I knew nothing about it. I, this was kind of a sweet little movie. It's a sweet, sad little movie. I wouldn't say it's great or anything, but it's better than I thought it was going to be. I, I honestly was kind of expecting this to be a so bad it's good kind of melodramatic 90s movie. But it's it's fine. It, it, it works for what it is. This little girl is sad. She's obsessed with death. And then she hates the the prospective mother-in-law uh, or not mother-in-law stepmom coming into the picture and she eventually uh, you know has to learn to connect with her and her dad and her dad has to learn to connect with her more too and it's just kind of a sweet little movie let me just ask you you didn't show this to your daughter as well did you oh no <laughs> okay thank goodness you don't want to scar her that early on <laughs> no, I, I I wouldn't call this a kid's movie anyway. No, it's really. not. I think that was the problem is that a lot of people were like, oh, this kid was in Home Alone. This will be okay. And then people see it in, yeah, that scene. Um, but, but now I'm going to get to my third and final movie, which is the real reason that I watched My Girl to begin with. Uh, was So I'm working through 1994 this year. Every year I work through a different year of movies. I'm working through 1994 this year. And uh, next up on my docket was to watch My Girl 2. <laughs> oh, what? My Girl 2 from 1994, also directed by Howard Zeef, also starring uh, Anna uh, Chlumsky, Chlumsky uh, who played Veda in the first movie. She comes back to play her two years later as a 13-year-old in this movie. Uh, Vaden, uh, Veda Sultanfuss has a holiday coming up and an assignment to do an essay on someone she admires and has never met. She decides she wants to do an assignment on her mother, but quickly realizes she knows very little about her. She manages to get her father to agree to let her go to L.A. to stay with her Uncle Phil and do some research on her mother. So, okay, first off. Um, <laughs> this sounds was... like already a premise that's just bound to fail. <laughs> I was disappointed that no one got attacked by bees in this movie. Oh, really? I mean, I, I, you think they would upgrade to wasps or you know snakes or something like that, something a little bit more vicious. But okay, uh, Katie was she wasn't watching the movie with me, but she was in the room while I was watching it, so she saw quite a bit of it. And she and I were constantly making jokes about in this scene, someone should, someone should just chuck like a, like a a beehive in the window of this conversation scene. <laughs> And have someone yell, I'm allergic to bees. Can you imagine how that would trigger her PTSD when she go through that? <laughs> <laughs> she just um, getting flashbacks of like, no. I will say, I, I give this movie credit for not trying to repeat the same beats, do the exact same thing. A lot of times when you get these sequels to, to these movies, uh, these kind of lesser known movies, 
the sequels tend to try to follow the exact same formula, but in a slightly different way. That's what my summer story did for a Christmas story. It says, oh, it's, he's he's obsessed. Ralphie's obsessed with a new thing, and there's new shenanigans that mirror the old shenanigans. And uh, this movie doesn't do that. It just kind of all right. Here's another event in uh, Veda's life. Here here's a new step in her life. A new a new coming in a, coming of age kind of thing. Where so she she travels to L.A. because her mom was from L.A. And she's interviewing a bunch of her old school buddies to find out as much as she can about her mom's life. That's kind of all there is to this movie. In fact, there's not really much of a plot other than Veda just interviewing more people, finding out a little bit more. And then towards the end, there's a little bit of drama involving the the fact that her mom was involved with another guy before her dad. Her dad didn't really know much about. Again, it's fine. It's not as good. It's not as good as the first movie, but I. It wasn't offensively bad or anything. It was just kind of okay. I, I I I would give a mild recommendation to the first movie, and if you like the first movie, I would say yeah, go ahead and watch the sequel. You, you you could do worse, but other than that, there's really no reason to watch this movie. Yeah, it's almost like if there's no thorough line, if there's no actual like strong narrative pulling us through, other than it just being like an episodic like adventure for her to just figure out who she is and who her mom was. I'm like, yeah, what's the drive? Might as well turn it into a show at that. Yeah, point. it's just kind of an it's 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 an addendum to the first movie, and there is kind of like you know you know there's reoccurring characters. There's this this there is another boy that she gets a crush on is the son of the woman that Veda's uncle is dating and might get married to. Oh. And so. she, so <laughs> so they, they, they go out of their way. They have this one scene where they're kind of falling for each other, Veda and the boy. And they go out of their way to say like, well, we're not really cousins because not by blood. So it's okay. Like the movie like, goes out of its way to explain that. So we'll be kissing cousins. Yeah, quite literally. So, uh, but yeah, the movie is always okay. It's fine. It's not worth watching unless you like the first movie and you just want to see a little bit more. And this gives you a little bit more, and that's about it. I really hope this was like the last one that they did because I can just imagine this uh, actress just like being done with like I don't want to be shoehorned into this just, franchise yeah. if this is going to become a thing. No, this was this was the last one. Although I, if it did continue, if it did continue, I think that would be funny because it would have to turn into like my woman instead of my girl, and then I don't know my senior. <laughs> anyway, that's what I've watched recently. Um, yeah, let's let's move on to our main topic now, which mm-hmm. is Harold and Maud. Harold and Maud. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out, and if you want to be free, be free. Cause there's a million things to be, you know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high. The young Harold lives in his own world of suicide attempts and funeral visits to avoid the misery of his current family and home environment. Harold meets an 80-year-old woman named Maud, who also lives in her own world, yet no one in which or yet one in which she is having the time of her life. When the two opposites meet, they realize that their differences don't matter and they become best friends and love each other. Harold and Maud is 1971, directed by Hal Ashby. Uh, so yeah, I have to admit, I have a new appreciation for the elderly after this movie. Oh, oh no. Nate goes to his Tinder account, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the age of people he's looking for. So anywhere between 20 and 85. No, 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 more like, more like anywhere between 75 and 85. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, we'll just narrow it down to that pretty much. Well, 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 85. Five. I mean, like, what's 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 even the use? It, you're 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 just waiting around at that point, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. As as Maud says in this movie. So okay, so have have either of you guys seen this movie before this time? Uh, no, I I hadn't seen it uh, prior to, to to watching this for the review. Uh, I do remember actually watching it a while ago in bits and pieces, and I remember like you know why this was significant for its day and age. Uh, you know, with Bud Court and Ruth Gordon playing like this very oddball and very kind of polarizing romantic couple. But uh, I, I kind of just, if anything, I just remember Harold's suicide attempts. That was like the one yeah. thing that just like caught me off guard in the very beginning because it literally opens up with that, and I was like, did he actually do it? And then you find out, oh no, no, he just stages this so i'm curious what what do you think of it because it, it it's this strikes me as the sort of movie that would be kind of up your alley yeah I, it was 
to be honest, I had set it on my watch list years ago because I, I, I found out about it and I was like, oh, this, yeah, this does seem like something that's going to be right up my alley. I guess it kind of is in theory. In execution, it was okay. Okay. Uh, before I get into what I thought, I want to go to, so our film literate's friend, uh, Nick Van Leeshout, he has logged this once on, uh, on Letterboxd last year. It was his first time watching it. And, and the only thing he said in his review was that this is Wes Anderson's Rosetta Stone. That's a odd yeah. way of putting it, but okay. Yeah. I, I, which, which, which I get. Uh, he also gave the movie two stars. He did not like the movie. Uh, oh. okay. But like halfway through the movie, I just looked in the letterbox and I saw his review and all of a sudden it clicked with me and I was watching the movie. And I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get where he's coming from with this, with the music and a lot of the angles and kind of the 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 offbeat uh relationships between the characters i could see how wes anderson would use this movie as a sort of template for his tone for a lot of his movies yeah uh me i had seen this movie once before i'd seen i watched this in college so probably about 10 ish years ago for the first time i would say that's like the same time as well when i watched it so yeah I, I really didn't care for this movie when I first watched it. Uh, and I kind of just put it out of my head as, oh, it's the movie where the the, the teen falls in love with the old lady. Mm-hmm. So re- I, I was anxious to rewatch it because since then, it's been added to the Criterion Collection. And I kind of realized I didn't remember a whole lot about this movie. And I thought, well, I should give it another shot now that it's been, been some time. So I was looking forward to doing this episode. And I think I liked it a little bit more. Then the first time I watched it, I still don't entirely get the movie. I get a lot of the things it's going for, and I don't know if it meshes together very well for me. I I like the idea of the juxtaposition between the young guy who's obsessed with death and the old woman who wants to live life to the fullest. That's interesting, but you, you don't get to really understand Harold that much. I feel like you get to understand yeah. Maude a lot. Which makes sense because she's the outgoing one who just wears her personality on her on her sleeve. Everyone like like she she's easy to read in this movie. By Harold's very nature of his character, he's very difficult to read, and he's also the one that we're following most of the movie. And so I don't quite get him, except for there are brief moments here and there where he's caught off guard or, or, or he's showing you a side of himself that you feel like you're really seeing the inside, like, like, like you're seeing the actual guy because for most of the movie, he's putting on this very blank, emotionless, depressed personality. But there's one moment in particular where he looks at the camera and smiles and you get, oh, okay, he's getting a kick out of this. Now yeah. I get a little piece of his character here. Or uh, later on when he uh, pulls one of his suicide pranks and it doesn't work the way he expected to. And he just looks at this lady like, oh my gosh, like this is the way I planned. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I actually love that scene just because I was like, okay, I mean, it's it's following the rules of threes. And I want to see like this third one, how this goes down. And uh, I was expecting that, but I like- I, I, I like the dry macabre sense of humor that the movie has. I like the way the movie shot Hal Ashby. Uh, I've only seen one other, one other movie of his, which was 8 Million Ways to Die. And the movie is shot and edited very well. From what I understand, Hal Ashby, I think, was known as a as, as a great editor. He didn't actually edit this movie. No, he didn't actually. He had worked on a lot of uh, Norman Jewison uh, films, one of them being, I think, uh, In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. As, and he's also won an Oscar, I think, for The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. Um, so he definitely has his background in editing. And it kind of does shine a lot in the pacing of this yeah, film. Yeah, and, 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 and there are moments that I really appreciated. There's there's one montage in particular that I thought was really well done where Harold and Maude are walking through uh, a field of flowers and they have a discussion about how Harold thinks all the flowers look the same and Maude says, well, no, each one of them has their own little personality. They're all the same. Cut to immediately after that, they're walking through a cemetery full of white headstones and they're in kind of a similar spot in the screen yep. and it draws a juxtaposition between the fact that all these headstones are the same. You can look at them as being all the same, or you can look at the personality of the fact that there's an individual behind each one. And yeah. I like touches like that. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if the whole movie as a whole, and we'll talk about this more when we get into spoilers later about the ending. I don't know if the whole thing comes together for me 
but I like bits and pieces of this. Yeah, and I think this was, um, you know, with uh, Hal Ashby's, like, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think this was his first film, but it, him still early on in his directing style, uh, him just, like, trying to dabble into a lot of just, like, kind of peace movement uh, themes. Like, you know, obviously, uh, Maud plays this character who's all about free love, who is about free expression, living life to his fullest, and Harold is surrounded by very, very tight, conservative very you know right mindset people who just live their life in a box and he's kind of like being docile back and forth between those two um and so i think this is just also part of how ashby's kind of like uh, themes he likes to explore in his style um and so yeah it's it's kind of all over the place it doesn't really stay consistent but i think that's also intentional um, so that the moments when, you know, he's with Maud, they're much more receptive. Whereas like, you know, when he goes to, I guess, back in his house, you just feel so confined and so awkward and off-putting. It, it, you don't want to be there. Alex, as our resident music expert, what did you think of the soundtrack? It's Cat Stevens, man. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love the soundtrack myself too. Um, I, I keep forgetting, like, I, I when I first saw it, I didn't know who Cat Stevens was, but I was like, oh, this music's very nice. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I'm familiar with his music outside of, like, outside of just it being used in movies, specifically, like, this and Wes Anderson. Um, but it just, it fits, man. It's good. I mean, a lot of the songs from this are kind of, like, taken from his uh, Tea with the Telemann. Uh, but it's just, you know, you listen to his lyrics and you listen to what's kind of going on in the film and it's very fitting because a lot of like the themes that Maud like lives by and what she's trying to pass on to Harold is kind of expressed in the music, you know, what, with like what little conversations they have, I think the music kind of like takes it to that next level. Yeah. The movie is very laid back, but it's never boring. I actually found this really interesting because not a whole lot actually happens in the movie. And the movie repeats a lot of the same beats over and over again with the Harold's relationship with his mom. And she's exasperated with him uh, just being driven crazy, trying to find him a girlfriend. He does his fake suicide attempts. He hangs out with Maud a whole lot. That's kind of most of the movie. And to the movie's credit, it is very short. It's only an hour and a half long, which I think is perfect for a movie like this. But it, Considering that it's so laid back, it's never boring. It's just very relaxing, almost. Mm -hmm. Actually, I kind of just thought it was hilarious when it when it's established that Maude is stealing other people's cars and she doesn't really own a car. I thought that was hilarious because I'm like, okay, uh, how far are they going to get to this? And there's this one scene where uh, it turns into a chase scene where a cop is chasing them down the highway, and when he pulls them over, yeah. they steal his motorcycle. That was great. This this movie is almost um, a hipster Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Just a huge age gap at the same time. So it hits both markets, you know, that older crowd as well as the younger crowd. Um, I, I, Nate, I mentioned, and you mentioned as, as well earlier a little bit about the humor. What 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 did you think about the humor in this movie? I think if, if you don't get it in the first, like, five, ten minutes, especially with Harold, this movie is not going to be your cup of tea. Um you have to get past that whole macabre kind of aspect of it where he is, you know, staging these fake suicides. Because from there, that's where the humor comes from. There's one scene in particular I'm thinking about is when uh, Harold's mother uh, stages a uh, a date for them. And, and she's interviewing the girl. You see Harold outside in the front patio with a draping himself with a, a, cl uh, a blanket and him dousing himself with gasoline. And it's cutting back and forth. And then at one point, he lights himself and you think, oh my gosh. And then next minute he's entering the room, not touched. And I'm like, okay, well, if this is not the humor that you like, yeah, this movie is going to be very off-putting for you. So I, I think for me, the humor for this, it hit a, a funny bone for me. But I know with Hal Ashby, this is the same kind of dark humor he dabbles a lot in a lot of his uh, body of work. And it does cross the line at sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Alex, Alex, did you do you think it was funny? mildly yeah i mean the suicide scenes were probably the best part of it uh and i'm gonna put that as a quote from alex just post it on twitter with no context do it, do it. <laughs> the, the suicide scenes were the best part of the movie <laughs> <laughs> i mean they kind of are i mean they, they come out of nowhere and they yeah, surprise you really argue that yeah 
No, I can't. I can't. Um, I, I have to ask, like, what were your favorites? Like, is there any favorites mm, out there? I mean, the first one was good just because it's like that really extended one shot. So that that was nice. And then the um, the one where he stabs himself. Well, nice. yeah, and, and that's kind of, to, to Alex's point about pointing out those two scenes, that I think is also kind of a problem, a mini problem with the movie, is that for me, those two scenes, uh, the, the the opening hanging scene and then the scene with the sword later on, th those scenes stood out also. Uh, uh, you're talking about the scene with the sword, right, Alex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Funny. And I think it's because the movie is very funny and it is very macabre with its, with its humor. But it's also kind of a one-joke gag that gets played over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's it, it gets played in different ways. And it's very funny in those different ways, but the uh, I mean, this this movie isn't a laugh out loud kind of movie, and it, mm. it 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 never was intended to be. Yeah. But the first one I think was more humorous than okay. Now we get to see him. Oh, now he's lighting himself on fire. Oh, now he's chopping his hand off. Oh, now he's in the bathtub. It's like all right, well, we're getting the same thing. He's trying to do these things to shock his mom. His mom is pretending not to act shocked and move on with her life, and he scandalizes some would be girlfriend. Uh, until you get to the sword scene, when all of a sudden everything is turned on its head. He's like, "Oh, this is not getting the reaction I I, 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 I wanted out of it." And the movie never drags. And those scenes are some of the best scenes in the movie. But it's kind of like at a certain point, I was waiting for that sword scene because I'm like, "All right, well, we've seen this before. We've seen this other thing." And it, it is funny to see the people's reactions over and over again. But it's kind of the same joke over and over yeah, again. You're just waiting for that moment of like where it, you know it flips the script on on the same joke it's been doing. I mean, I think the only place that I kind of felt also it, it kind of stood out is actually when his mother's trying to get him recruited into the army, sends him off to his uncle, and they use that as a way to kind of get him kicked out of the army. And he actually brings Maud into it, and they stage this whole act, and I'm like, okay, let's see where this goes. But even when that happens, I was kind of thrown off guard. I'm like, well, what exactly happened? How did this work? There was a lot of that for me in this movie also uh or, or fell, fell through the floor the ground into the water and my first thought was like oh is she actually dead yeah <laughs> uh but then you kind of get the sense that harold didn't know if she'd actually died or not either uh because he seemed a little bit taken aback by that or maybe it was all planned we don't we don't really know yeah. that was a kind of little issue i have with this movie is that i don't need to know every single detail how everything was done there were points when my brain was like throwing together ideas of like, wait, how how did he pull that off, or how did how did that actually happen? And the movie just doesn't care; it just yeah. moves on. I, I think thing. the the problem with the script, at least from what I kind of understood, is that the, the guy who wrote this, uh, Colin Higgins, you know, he used that as like his you know way of keeping you engaged and interested, but with all these scenarios that he was coming up with, there was no uh, boundaries, especially like when that scene where he's with his uncle and him and Maude are staging this. It's like, where is the fine line of like where it's a safe zone? Like, because I kind of felt like that was not really fully established of how they pull that off. Unless he's a magician. And maybe that's what uh, this, this whole movie <laughs> is trying to say is that uh, Harold becomes the next David Copperfield who works in Vegas now. And of course, at the, at the heart of the movie is the relationship between Harold and Maude. And I guess th this is the point. I, I I might bring up some spoilery thoughts. So so should we just give a spoiler warning right here? Yeah, I say case? we should. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, uh, potential spoilers here on out for Harold and Maude. So as I mentioned early on, one of the draws of the movie is the fact that Harold and Maude are opposites. And that, I, I'm sure that was kind of the pitch mm -hmm. of the movie is that, that it's a young guy who's all about death and an old woman who's all about life. And they get together and they want to get married and all this. My my big problem is that so so I would get why Maude would be attracted to Harold because she is all about youth and living and 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 she wants to show this this guy this young guy the the joys of just going off and doing whatever you want let's steal cars because we can and and yeah. but because we never really at least for me at least i never really got to understand harold i never got what his attraction to her was other than she's old um because yeah. the fact that she's so alive would seem like it would be the thing that wouldn't attract him because he is all about 
kind of doom and gloom and I don't want to go out with anybody and all that kind of stuff. And I'm all about these macabre situations. On the other hand, he is clearly very juvenile and he gets a kind of satisfaction out of a kind of glee out of these pranks he's pulling on his mom. So I'm not quite sure what to make of this character. Is he is he genuinely fascinated with death or he's or is he just getting kind of getting a kick out of shocking people? So I I don't think he's really like genuinely fascinated with death. I think he's just kind of lost interest in pretty much everything. And so I think what attracted him to Maud was he was kind of he was take I think it was I guess taken aback and just surprised by how you know, we've been saying a while how full of life she is, you know, how, you know, energetic and whatnot she is. And so he's kind of, she, she has given him something, a, kind of like a new way to look at life and new way to kind of go about things. And so he, I think what attracted him is just that interest in, you know, like, like she does living her life to the fullest and doing everything that she, that she wants to do. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, I think one thing that I kind of got from Harold, at least, like through how Bud Court is like playing him, which I, I agree with you, Joe, he plays him very stoically and you can't really get a read of him. But I think if anything, there's a there's a scene where he actually is explaining to Maud why he's doing all these suicides, why he's doing all this. And it's not I, he does mention it is for the attention of his mother to know that does someone care about him? But as he mentioned, that was the only time there's this like one scene he recalls to Maud where it almost looked like he did die. He got away from it, but everyone thought, oh, he died in this uh, chemistry class accident. And seeing his mom like be that devastated from his loss is what he just wants again from life is someone to give him that kind of attention or that kind of appreciation or that kind of um exchange like you know and i think that's what mod was giving him because you look at everyone else everyone's telling him you should do this this is what's right for you mod actually asks him do you want to try this do you want to give this a shot he, she's she's looking for his uh consent in this it's nothing like you know he's being dragged by someone else to do it and i think that's where he feels she values him and maybe that's what he's wanting for someone is not tell me where to go to live life but someone let me join in their dance in life and, and she does that what is that up there oh that's my umbrella that's just a relic i found it when i was packing to come to america it used to be my defense on picket lines and rallies and political meetings being dragged off by the police and attacked by thugs of the opposition what were you fighting for oh big issue Liberty, rights, justice. Kings died, kingdoms fell. I don't regret the kingdom. What sense in borders and nations and patriotism? I I do like how his character does go through uh, an arc, an arc of sorts. Um, when you get to the end, you do see that. So 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 Maud has decided that that she doesn't want to live past eighty years old, and uh, when, when she turns 80 and she and Harold are together, she uh, takes her own life because 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 as as she says, she doesn't want uh, 85 is too old and 75 is too young. 80 is just the right age. Yeah. So and and then after she dies, uh, well, I mean, I mean, Harold mm -hmm. is devastated. He doesn't want her to go and he tries to do everything he can to save her. But at the end of the movie, he decides to take her advice and live life to the fullest. And it kind of goes running off into a dancing off into a field, which is a nice little way to show that he has gone through some sort of change. But what I want to know is, what does this mean for Maud? We hear her rationalization. We see her get together with Harold. But this, I, I, I feel like her choice at the end there kind of makes this whole, th makes her seem like a, like she doesn't really understand people even harold like like she got together with harold and it almost feels like feel like feels like she saw her time with harold as kind of a lark without taking into consideration him as a as an actual person or even really having any investment into their relationship mm -hmm. i i think she did see through harold i think that's if anything she saw that he was a man who was suffocating he was a man who was just boxing himself up and closing himself off and not letting himself feel anything. When she realized 
he had gotten to this point where he was willing to actually share his life with her, she realized he's going to be okay because now he understands what love is. And I think that's like the message I got from this is, you know, she she knows when she was ready. She also just wanted to make sure Harold was ready if she was to leave him. And I think he she saw that and she knew that. Um, I, I don't think she would ever like, you know, leave him in that kind of state without knowing he would have the not so much the skills or resources, but the the ways or you know the teachings that she passed on to him to go and live his own life, whatever that may be. Um, so I think if anything, that's what she got from it is knowing that she helped someone who was dying. I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, she did perfectly. Yeah, she, you know, stayed long enough to be able to teach him a lesson, to be able to live his own life without, you know, even without needing someone. And then she took herself out of the picture so that he could continue his life the way he wanted to, not tied to her. Yeah. I think that's, if anything, the reason why she kept, like, uh, in the very beginning, pestering him, like, coming to him. Like, of all the other people that she could be have been pestering, the you know, the policemen, the other folks, the priests that she was stealing cars from, they all got their groove. They all got their routines, and she knows, okay— yeah, I can ruffle their feathers just for shits and giggles, but there's something about this kid and what he's doing that it doesn't seem like he's happy with his groove. And so she just wanted to see, like, join this dance. And if you like it, um, great. By the way, that monologue uh, by the priest, best scene in the movie. <laughs> that was so oh, good. Oh gosh, it, it just it, it was zooming in on his face and he's getting so descriptive with him. Like, I, I can't tell if you're disgusted or if you're getting more of a rise out of this than I am because, <laughs> uh, because, oh geez. And it was kind of funny. I actually I was talking to some friends at work about this. Um, one of my coworkers actually knew that guy, he was actually um, one of the um, uh, acting professors at UCLA. Oh really? Uh, maybe not personally, but he was—he knew him and identified him, and he had actually seen this movie, kind of in a double feature, side to side with *Mash*, which is a uh, another Bud Court film. So. Oh, is Bud Court in *Mash*? I I I haven't seen the movie, so. Uh yeah, no, I mean it's definitely different from the show, but yeah, Bud Court's in both of those, so. Uh yeah, either way, it's kind of a little uh, interesting trivia. So here, here's my question. How old is Harold supposed to be in this movie? Well, apparently, I yeah. think he's in college at this point. Um, okay. He doesn't, like, he doesn't look it. No, he doesn't. Bud Court looks way younger than he's actually. Okay. Well, which, is, which is the reason I'm sure they, that, that they cast Bud Court, because you want to get you know, this, this movie about youth versus uh, uh, elderly age. You want, you want someone who looks really young. Yeah. Uh, let me pull up. I'm actually not quite sure. So, Bud, the movie came out in 1971. Bud Court was born in. Why are you looking that up? Yeah, I was surprised at how how he's able to turn, how he's able to do the modifications on that sports car he got. Oh yeah, like, like he, he learned that. Like he does. Like it looks super nice. Well, I mean, obviously, if, if he's as skilled as he is to stage all these suicide attempts and I, deaths, mm-hmm. he must mm-hmm. have some kind of like a mechanical skill. Or just I guess that's fair. able to yeah, kind of just do auto point. bodies like that. Yeah. So Bud Court was 23 when this movie was made. I'm going to go out on a limb and say his character was supposed to be uh, probably around 18, 19 years old. Yeah, like just early freshman year of college. Because he did mention like when he was 16, he got into that chemistry lab uh, accident. And since then, he's been trying to get his mother's attention again. So Okay, that makes it a little less creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little less creepy. Not necessarily better, but. <laughs> yeah. So, Alex, uh, final thoughts. Uh, would you recommend Harold and Maude? Sure. I, I, to be honest, I didn't care for it as much. But you would recommend it. I'd still, yeah, I'd still say I'd, I'd recommend it. It's, it's not a bad movie at all. Like it's entertaining enough that it keeps that it kept me engaged and interested. But to be honest, I can't really put my finger on exactly what, what didn't really hit home for me. The comedy's fine. The bit, you know, like I said, the best parts the suicide scenes. The music's fine. Music's good. Acting's good. It all looks good. It's just everything is good about it, but it just doesn't quite really get up there for me. Maybe it's something like, kind of like you were talking about, Joe. It, you know, if I rewatch it years later, I might like it a little bit more. But for right now, it it was okay. 
good, but not not at all great. I don't think. Nate, um, I'm I'm kind of like a little bit in between there with Alex and really kind of liking this movie because you know, it's it's definitely a good example of a Hal Ashby um, film. Um, aside from being there, this is a, another great example of like his tone, his style, um, a lot of the themes he likes exploring. And I don't know, I think this this romance is actually just uh, something that's a little refreshing just because I feel like if this was done in a different way with, you know, maybe if they were, you know, if the age wasn't so extreme as it was for Ruth Gordon and uh, Bud Court, um, I don't think a lot of the themes that it was tackling would have been receptive to certain audiences. I think that kind of, it's a, it's a bit of a shock value and it's a bit of a conversation starter, but it's also just something where you're just on board with the ride with like all the shenanigans and antics they're getting into. But I felt this is, I think a lot of the things it explores is nice. And especially for it's when in the age it came out, it was refreshing but uh, it's definitely a cult classic. Like it's something that's not going to fit for everybody. For me, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting film, and I think it was bold enough to you know do it in this kind of a, a way and be the first to try to do this. Um, but you're right. I think I'm a little bit with Alex, where I kind of felt like it could have been done a little bit better. But at the same time, I'm glad it is the way it is. I don't want it to be any different. Um, just because Hal Ashby, I think, just shines his best in this film with his style and yeah, keep it as it is. Uh, if it floats your boat, great. If it doesn't, eh, you gave it uh, an hour to, and a half to refine my take on it a little bit more. I felt like it, it just kind of me like, especially in the middle, it just kind of meandered around. Like it, it didn't feel like it had all that much drive to it until you got either, you know, you're very early on when you, when Harold first meets Maud or, you know, very late in the movie um the middle kind of just like i said just meandered around there wasn't a lot of driving action kind of like pulling it forward other than just like oh what crazy thing is mod gonna do next oh how's this date gonna go yeah that yeah so that that didn't really didn't sit too well with me so i went from disliking this movie to kind of being impartial on it i guess i i still don't quite know what i make of it i think it's very well made. I think the actors are all doing great. I think a lot of the gags land. I, but I, I, I don't know what I got out of this movie. And I'm sure a lot of people do get something out of this movie. But it, it just, 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 just the end. And again, I can't let, like, like you guys, I can't quite lay my finger on why it doesn't work. Just something about it doesn't all quite come together for me. I almost think that, that this movie is kind of like the uh, it's the tourist trap of movies where it hooks you in with this bizarre uh, premise. Like, here's this, here's this guy who pulls up suicide attempts and he gets together with an old lady. See what happens. But then it, it also brings in some really kind of interesting moments, interesting themes. It's got everything that it promises. But in the end, you're not quite, I'm not quite sure if there's really a whole lot behind it. And I'm sure that a lot of people do get do get something out of it. Just for me, it 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 didn't quite do it. Uh, despite how well Al, how Ashby directs it, it is very funny at times. Um, but it, it's it's uh, yeah, it's an it's an interesting it, it's it's an oddity of a movie. Yeah, I yeah. I say if you're into that kind of thing, you'll like it. I can't re- I can't recommend it to to, to everybody. But I, I, I know there are people out there, obviously, who, who love this movie. And so I would just kind of take it on a case-by-case basis. If this sounds like something that you would be interested in, I would say go for it. Uh, if not, you can easily skip it, and I wouldn't try to convince you otherwise. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Fair. Anyway, that will end it for uh, this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. Uh, you can go to filmilliterates.com for more episodes and other videos and youtube.com slash filmilliterates. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? Oh, well, you can find me here at Film Illiterates uh, with these guys doing podcasts, videos, anything else. And uh, I actually have an Instagram channel, so you can go to Nathan underscore Stone underscore Films or follow me at uh, Starlord underscore Rules with a Z. Um, but yeah, I'm also going to try to get back on Letterboxd. I know I keep promising that, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> Alex. All right. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd under Hapscrim. Uh, I'm also on rate your music. 
go and check out what I've been listening to under also under half scrim. Um, and then uh, on Twitter at Alex D. Patton. And uh, you can find me at uh, twitter.com slash film literates and letterbox.com uh, if you I'm username uh, film underscore illiterate. And next episode we're going to be doing will be a pick a flick by Nate. Nate, have you chosen a movie yet or are we, are you still thinking on that? Um, I think I'm going to surprise you guys, uh, but we are doing a pick a flick, so it'll be something interesting. Alrighty, so next episode, Nate will have some sort of uh, horrifying monstrosity of a movie he will unleash <laughs> upon us. <laughs> I, it'll be definitely one that you'll like, Joe. Um, and probably with Alex, maybe you'll even love even more. <laughs> Until then, uh, go ahead and keep watching movies and keep it easy.